Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, skeptics with raised eyebrows and believers with both feet off the ground, get ready for a roller coaster ride through Michigan's quirkiest corners of folklore. Today, we're diving headfirst into tales that'll make your hair stand on end, your logical brain cells do the cha cha, and your imagination do the macarena. I was just at a wedding, so those songs are lodged in my head. Fly to the left. Buckle up, because we are about to unravel the Paulding Lights mysteries, decipher the Ada Witch's secrets, and relive the UFO hysteria that sent shockwaves across the state in 1966. So grab your flashlight, your salt circle, and maybe even your tinfoil hats, because we're about to embark on an expedition that will challenge our skepticism and our sense of wonder. Do you believe in ghosts? Join me on the journey through America's dark and haunted past as we explore the ghost stories and folklore that have been passed down for generations. What scares you? Let's find out. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. 
I could see it right now. Staring into the trees, Bob Anderson spoke excitedly. It was a fantastic summer evening, and the 61-year-old had taken some of his fishing buddies down a dead-end road into the Ottawa National Forest to see the famous, mysterious phenomenon known as the Paulding Lights. This bizarre phenomenon appears frequently at a remote spot in the woods of the Upper Western Peninsula. The bright white light glowing deep inside the woods, changing size and shape before disappearing. Do you see it? He asked. The other three guys craned their necks and tried to find it, but weren't successful. They looked unconvinced. I made many skeptics believer down here, Anderson said. For 50 years, the Paulding Light has mystified the Upper Peninsula. Though it's difficult to locate, a journey down the US-45 to a small town in Paulding near Wisconsin's edge will guide you. Detour onto Robbins Ponds Road, once part of the old US-45, and now it's reduced to an expanse of gravel, flanked by a woodland closing in around it. After half a mile, you'll reach a guardrail looking into a woody valley, a former highway dissolving into wilderness before you. I believe I talked about the Paulding Lights on a previous podcast, but I didn't really dive deep into it, I more just kind of like mentioned it. So we're gonna, we're gonna take a deeper look today. People have enthusiastically speculated on what the legend might be since it was first seen, and the legend spread by word of mouth and later by TV shows about the paranormal. It was only when a group of engineering students from a nearby university conducted experiments at the viewing site a few years ago that the mystery was solved once and for all, but in a reasonably unexciting manner. Despite the proof the students offered for their explanation, many people still come to the forest in hopes of seeing the light for themselves. When a cloud of mosquitoes attacked the group, Anderson's buddies got antsy. He sensed their impatience. Come on, buddy, he said, looking towards the spot where the light appeared. We're waiting for you. Paulding Light was first sighted by high school boys in 1966, who reported it to a local sheriff. The official legend says that the light comes from a swaying lantern held by the ghost of a railroad brakeman, who died when he tried to stop an oncoming train from hitting rail cars that were stalled on the track. Several railroads were running through this forest more than a century ago, which are now buried in the underbrush. This was logging country. Some believe it's the light of a train, which is now a ghost. The old ghost train. Some suspect it's a distraught spirit of a grandparent looking for a lost grandchild with a lantern that needs constant relighting. Some speculate that it's swamp gas. Others speculate that it's something related to the Northern Lights. Initially, doubters pointed out that the light looks rather similar to automobile headlights at the distance, and its location coincides with a highway sightline. Plus, reports of the light appeared pretty much at the same time the highway was constructed. Despite all the debate, curious tourists have flocked to this remote town, turning a hidden, abandoned gravel road into one of the state's most popular tourist attractions. The 43-year-old owner of Paulding's General Store, located at the town's only intersection a few miles north of the viewing area, said that he's seen it where 50 cars are up there, both sides of the road and all the way back. I get a million people coming in looking for directions because they're lost, the store's owner said. As a result, the U.S. Forest Service put up a sign in the middle of the woods at the end of the road, informing people that this is the place to view the famous Paulding light. During his teenage years, Lynette and his friends would gather on Robbins Pond Road for a party and watch the light as they drank beer. 
It was a big social event to see the polding light in a small, very rural town with few entertainment options. And although he's seen it countless times, it still holds a sense of mystery for him. Every night, it'll be dim, and then it'll come, he said. I've seen it where it looks like it's in the ditch right next to your car. I wish I could figure out what it is. Boss also wanted to know what it is. While he was a graduate student in electrical engineering at Michigan Tech, he was looking for ways to engage with the Society of Photo-Optical Instrumentation Engineers. And let's be honest, who isn't? About a dozen other students accompanied him on a road trip to Paulding to solve the riddle of the infamous Paulding light. Solving the riddle was a little more exciting than the usual optical club offerings. Hmm. When you tell them it's a spooky ghost story, people really want to be involved, said the 39-year-old engineering professor. They brought spectrographs and telescopes to the dead-end road, drove down the new highway blinking their lights in prearranged pattern, and recorded the results. Every time the light appeared, one glance through the telescope revealed what sure looked like the headlights of oncoming cars, which could clearly be seen through the lens, sometimes with the distinct outline of a car coming down the road, which was about eight miles away. In addition to taking a video, the group posted it online. They explained that the flickering caused by cars coming over a hill is what caused the polding lights. They announced that the mystery had been solved. Some still refuse to give up on Boss's belief in the supernatural origin of the light, though, to this day. Some people say that the light they see in the woods is too bright to be headlights. Others say that it moves in a way that no car can. Most people, however, just really want to keep believing. So they don't really have any particular objections. Despite scientific evidence disproving all sorts of things, people still choose to believe in the more fantastical. Perhaps because they view science as removing the mystery of things. Before the experiment was even finished, those living nearby had already heard about the students' plans, and many were disappointed, assuming that the government funds were being wasted, when in fact, it was self-funded by the Optics Club. One woman made a point of bringing her albums with photos she'd taken of the light over time. She strongly believed in its veracity. Others conceded that the headlights were likely captured in telescope lenses, but remained unconvinced that it actually consisted of polding lights. It was mentioned in Native American history long before there were roads, said Linda Schultz. Even before there were roads, the lights were mentioned. A former hunter, fisherman, snowmobiler, and supernatural hunter, Schultz owns the Running Bear Resort in Paulton, which offers six small cabins with beds, a heater, and a kitchen for rent. The ledgers in each cabin are filled with stories about guest experiences with the Paulding light. People want to debunk this mystery by saying it's headlights, Schultz said. You may be able to see them from a distance, but when the true mystery light shows up, it's kind of a different light. Those who accepted the results of the experiment still complained about Boss spoiling the fun for everyone. A good friend of mine asked me if I could disprove Santa Claus for the kids next, Boss said. A round flickering light appeared in the distance, where the trees disappeared into the horizon and grew brighter as it lingered. He yelled to his fishing buddies, You see it? It was as bright as, say, a lantern. The sun had set not long ago and the woods had grown dark. He was in awe when one of his buddies said, that's pretty freaking cool there. After witnessing the phenomenon themselves, nobody believed the phenomenon was caused by headlights after the fishermen saw it for the first time that evening. But they weren't the last. As Terry Nestle squinted at the light, he said, that's a long lasting light. That's not a car on top of a hill. Rick Michael, age 61 of Midland said, 
It's strange how it gets brighter and then dims out and then gets brighter again. They had come from downstate to the Upper Peninsula to explore the woods on their four-wheelers. So far, they've found an abandoned hunting shack and the ruins of an ancient one-room schoolhouse, swallowed up and hidden by the forest. On their four-wheelers, they raced up the gravel road just in time to see the eerie polding light glowing persistently through the trees as they roared out of the valley. Nestle said, I don't see how that could be a car. After driving 45 minutes from Ironwood, two teenagers pulled up and sat on a patch of grass overlooking the valley just beyond the guardrail. Seeing the polding light come and go over and over again, 16-year-old Michael Hatfield said with certainty, most people will just say it's car headlights. They're wrong. A few minutes later, the darkness was interrupted by the beams of car headlights coming in from the highway and parking along the gravel road in long rows, just as the general store owner explained. It was Monday night, and it was ink black outside. Mosquitoes were swarming and biting, yet a spontaneous party came together in the woods anyway. Most gathered by the guardrail. They heard that not long ago, someone had debunked the story of the lights, but each of them came out to see it anyway. Some sat in their vehicles, others walked into the forest. I think you have to believe in the light, Anderson said. You either believe in it, or you don't. Hey folks, uh, just wanted to stop on in here and just thank everybody for the fantastic voicemails that I'm getting. Literally, I cannot say it enough. I'm never going to not say it, so to hell with you if you don't like it. Thank you guys so much. I have never been so humbled in my entire life from just the amount of love I've been getting from you guys. Thank you so much for just thanks so much for just being here with me and listening to my ramblings into this microphone. When I first started this podcast, I was like, oh, I'm just going to be screaming into the clouds. And I was fine with that, you know, but to be so received and loved by you guys. And I just want you to know that the love is right back at you. Thank you so, so much. Um, While I have you here, I have a favor to ask. If anybody has any kind of paranormal photographs or videos that you may have taken personally, send them my way. When you do, I'll have a little bit of back and forth with you in an email about why I'm requesting them, and it's for a, a fantastic reason. So if you have them, send them over. I'm going to use them for something that I just don't want to say yet. I don't want to announce publicly yet. If you send me something, I'll let you know. Let you in on the little secret. But uh, anyway, again, thank you guys so much. If you're enjoying the show, leave a review, share it with a friend, or just uh, leave me a voicemail. Come and say hello. And if you're in the New Jersey area this weekend, um, August uh, 18th, 19th, and 20th, probably the 19th and 20th, better, I will be at the New Jersey Horror Convention. Again, I'm not presenting, I don't have a table, I'm not doing anything but just being a guest. But I'm going to be walking around and I'm going to be documenting it and I'm going to be uh, making a video and kind of like reviewing it for my YouTube channel. So if you're there and you see me, please stop on over and say hello. And uh, if you haven't, check out uh, my YouTube channel. The link is in the show description. 
I've only have two videos there right now, but I'm going to start building more content, especially now that Halloween season's coming around. I want to try and visit local haunted attractions and oddities, and I just bang my hand on my table because I talk with my hands a lot. I don't know if you guys heard it, but you probably did. Um, so yeah, that's it. So New Jersey Horror Convention in Atlantic City at the Showboat. I will be there with my camera and and my, my smiling face. And I just want to say hello to everybody. If you're there, come and say howdy. I'll be probably wearing a Haunted American History t-shirt or some sort of obnoxious uh, horror-inspired button-up that I own. So it'll be it's going to be a lot of fun. So thank you guys again 100,000 times. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, let's uh, keep going with Michigan. Later, guys. Love you. Hey, folks. You guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion. It's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com haunted. I'll see you there. The Ada Witch is the witch of Findlay Cemetery. She is seen roaming around the cemetery, especially around Honey Creek Road and Conservation Northeast. Also near Sedman Park and Egypt Valley Avenue. This story is actually pretty typical. I was surprised how many times I've heard the exact same story, just somewhere else. The legend tells of a woman in the 1800s committing infidelity against her husband. He had become suspicious of her nocturnal acts, so one night he feigned to sleep, and she went off into the shadows. He followed her and discovered that she was with another man, plunging him into a fury and causing him to attack them both. In a swift move, he took his wife's life before engaging in a deadly duel with the other man, ultimately leading to both men's demise. For many years now, people have said that they've heard the sounds of the fight taking place around the Findlay area, only to find no one around. The area at one point must have been open for hunting before it was developed into a residential area because hunters have reported feeling ghostly presences in that area, hearing ghostly fights and being tapped on the shoulder some even seeing a ghostly woman in white. From story to story, the tale differs a little. 
There is belief that this woman met her lover every night in the Findlay Cemetery, and that's where she was killed. After watching her husband and lover fight until they killed each other, the woman took her life in agony. In addition, there is a story where she met her lover and died in Seedman Park, which is near the cemetery, of course. The woman's body was found on Honey Creek Road, according to reports. It is common for people to leave trinkets, gifts, flowers, and other things on the gravesite that commemorates this lady in white, and some even vandalize it. However, this is where things get a little strange. This lady's gravestone is that of Sarah McMillan. She died in 1870, but she didn't die of murder or suicide. Instead, she died of typhoid fever. There are no real explanations for why the lady in white is buried here. It is still being determined of how much research was done on each of the dozen women buried in the cemetery who lived within walking distance of the cemetery. The death of Sarah McMillan was questioned because of two things that led people to ask her death is the possible origin of the Ada Witch. Sarah's name is listed as Sally in the Kent County Court death records, not Sarah. Secondly, her death was not officially recorded until nine months after. Could this possibly be a cover-up? If you look up her name, you will find the records are as follow. Sarah A. Chaliso McMillan. 1840 to 1870, died of typhoid. However, Sarah's husband, Archibald McMillan, who died after Sarah, disproves that she could be the Ada Witch. In the cemetery, people report seeing floating orbs around. They hear footsteps when no one is around them, and they feel people touching or grabbing them when they are alone. Even the physical description of the lady in white varies from person to person. Many people describe her as beautiful while others describe her as horribly ugly and disfigured. They claim to have heard a fight around them, but no one appeared nearby. There are reports that a woman is wearing a blue dress, while others say her dress is white. Outside the cemetery, some people have even seen her standing in the middle of the road. Some stories say that you will see something if the moon is full. Ada witches are poorly described. There is no evidence that she is actually a witch. She follows more of a lady in white legend. It appears that someone just told a story about a lady who cheated on her husband and, and died for it. And the story just kind of took off and kept going, yet there is no evidence of that either. It has been confirmed by paranormal researchers that this area is haunted, along with the surrounding area. But, unfortunately, they were unable to identify who the ghost or ghosts are. The legend of the Ada Witch could just be another tragic lady in white. In March of 1966, Frank Manor spent a quiet night at home with his wife and teenage son, Ronald. It was peaceful at their farmhouse, just northwest of Dexter, Michigan, until around 8.30. That's when they noticed the lights. Something was amiss in the sky. From their windows, Frank and Ronald watched as a strange object landed on their property. Frank and Ronald described the object as large, brown, and sphere-shaped, with a quilted pattern on its surface. It hovered over a nearby marshy area, pulsating red and green lights, oh, like a big Christmas tree. In one instance, the object's lights went out, and that's when it disappeared. 
only to reappear about 500 yards away. And then they heard a loud sound. Like a rifle bullet ricocheting off an object, they said. The strange object then lifted into the air, paused directly above them, and then vanished. The manners contacted law enforcement to explain what they'd witnessed. Instead of being laughed at, their report was taken seriously. Very seriously. Turns out that police officers on patrol that evening had seen something similar. Following witnesses' descriptions, Washtenaw County Sheriff's Corporal David Severance drew a picture of it. The previous Monday, police on patrol in Lima Township, southwest of Dexter, witnessed four lights flying with great speed and amazing maneuverability in the early morning hours. One officer even attempted to take pictures. Nearly 60 miles southwest of Dexter, lights were observed at Hillsdale College the day after the Manor Farm incident. In this case, several undergraduate women saw lights outside of their dorm windows. They called William Van Horn, the Hillsdale County Civil Defense Director, who arrived in a patrol car and saw the lights firsthand. Senators, governors, law enforcement agencies, and researchers all became involved, trying to figure out what was happening because the incidents were so widespread and the witnesses were so credible. Several collections at Bentley today document much of this activity, from archives of newspapers to governor's papers to faculty correspondence. A dive into archive material certainly reveals what happened in the spring of 1966 in Michigan. The Manners were a familiar family to Washtenaw County Sheriff Douglas J. Harvey, who visited them on March 20th. Harvey believed their testimony to be credible and took their testimony seriously. He refuted rumors that the family was seeking publicity or somehow deranged by saying, these people have seen something. Several of Harvey's officers have also seen the unexplained lights. I trust my men's reports, Harvey told in Ann Arbor News on March 22nd. I don't know what it is, but I'm confident they have seen something. In desperation, Harvey asked Weston Vivian, his congressional representative, for help investigating the incidents. He was repeatedly ignored, until one day, he wasn't. This may have been motivated in part by his colleagues concerned about the UFOs. A file in his collection contains letters from citizens predating the 1966 incident, asking for information and relaying concerns about UFOs. More public letters conveying UFO concerns before the 1966 incident are in the collection of other politicians, including Michigan Senator Phil Hart and Representative William D. Ford from Michigan's 15th District. The U.S. Air Force sent J. Allen Hynek, Ph.D., an astrophysicist from Northwestern University, as an investigator after Vivian pulled enough strings. Soon, Hynek's presence would create more problems than it would solve. As a professor of physics and astronomy at Ohio State University, Hynek was a respected academic who worked at Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory during World War II. In the late 1950s, he worked on the U.S. satellite program at the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory after leaving Ohio State. Following the end of the program, he resumed teaching at Northwestern University, where he was the department's chair. In addition, he provided UFO consulting services to the United States Air Force on the side. You know, just as a little side gig. I'm just a UFO consultant, no big deal. 
During the late 1940s, Hynek advised the military on Project Sign, an investigation into a rash of reports about strange objects in the sky. Project Sign morphed into Project Blue Book in 1952. Initially, Hynek was skeptical about the UFO reports. After all, they were reports. He was largely behind a desk reading accounts from people he'd never met and places he'd never been. Things began to change when Hynek visited people making the claims and heard the stories firsthand. I do not believe that the witnesses I interviewed were lying, insane, or hallucinating collectively, he wrote in the Hynek UFO report, the authoritative account of the Project Blue Book cover-up from 1977. After writing extensively about UFOs, Hynek created a classification system for alien encounters, close encounters of the first, second, and third kind. Do, 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 do. I love that movie. However, when he arrived in Washtenaw County on March 23, 1966, he found little evidence suggesting anything was amiss. In fact, he came up with the perfect explanation for everything. There's nothing to see here. A press conference on March 25, 1966 indicated that rotten vegetation in lowland areas caused the incidents at Manor Farm and Hillsdale College. As a result of the foliage, gases were trapped in winter and released during the spring thaw. This phenomenon is simply known as swamp gas. Hynek described it as highly localized, causing lights and even sound. Right. Heineck added that the strange photos taken by a police officer were nothing more than trails created by the camera's time exposure of the crescent moon and Venus. Right. Sheriff Harvey, who continued to support his patrol officers and the manners, was among the skeptics. With all due respect, Dr. Heineck, I'm not ready to accept this weak excuse of marsh gas, he told reporters. Yeah, me neither. Despite Hynek's explanations, public pressure mounted for a deeper investigation. As Congressman Vivian continued to press the Air Force for more investigative resources, Representative Gerald Ford from Michigan asked for a full congressional inquiry into the UFO reports. A group of scientific observers was to be convened on April 6, 1966 to investigate recent sightings further. The U.S. Air Force had commissioned the University of Colorado and physicist Edward Condon to lead a two-year project to study UFOs and determine whether the government should continue funding UFO research. Condon Committee, a group of 11 scientists plus part-time consultants, released a report in 1969 that was more than a thousand pages long and concluded that the documented UFO phenomenon had no scientific value. Fooey. Many eyewitnesses across the country were dismissed in the report, including those from Washtenaw County who saw something unusual in the sky of March of 1966. The report confirmed Hynek's findings, which dismissed the manners as being too far away to know what they saw. In the photos taken by the police officer, Hynek described them as streaks of light from Venus and the moon, and the Hillsdale College students likely saw young men playing pranks with flares. You know, you know what boys do with their flare guns. <laughs> in its conclusions, the report fails to validate any of the hundreds of eyewitnesses it quotes. Those who report UFOs are often articulate, but not necessarily reliable. Members of the National Academy of Sciences reviewed the Condon Report, including H. Richard Crane, 
a distinguished professor of physics at the University of Michigan. Crane and his colleagues concluded that the Condor report was right, that UFOs were worth no further scientific investigation, and most of what people saw was highly explicable. But in Crane's archive papers at the Bentley are letters from Condon, on which Crane is copied, which speak to one of the more controversial aspects of the report, a memo by University of Colorado Assistant Dean Robert J. Lowe. In Lowe's memo from 1966, he assured administrators that the study would prove that UFO observations have no basis in reality. Several copies of the message were leaked to the press. Look Magazine ran a highly publicized article about the memo. It raised doubts about the objectivity of the project. The Air Force agreed with the report's findings in 1969, and Project Blue Book was shut down. UFO sightings are still occurring today, like a lot today. Congress was notified in June of 2021 of an unclassified report about UFOs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, or AEPs. The report confirmed sightings by credible military personnel of objects that behave in ways that defy explanation and may require additional scientific knowledge. The door is once again open for further investigation. In the archive collection of U.S. Representative William D. Ford is a 1965 letter from 14-year-old Gregory Gullius, who believes 75% of UFO sightings are from other planets, most likely Mars, and calls for Ford to try and ask the Senate to form a committee to investigate UFOs for five years and publish their findings monthly in all major papers across the country, which isn't a bad idea. Ford responded by saying, Your belief that life exists on another planet is supported by the fact that there are numerous solar systems like ours. In response, Is Earth as unique as a grain of red sand on a white beach? Hmm. As I conclude this tantalizing journey through Michigan's mysterious past, we find ourselves at a crossroads of belief and skepticism. The paulding light continues to dance at night leaving us pondering the limits of the scientific explanation. The Ada Witch's tale reminds us that legends can blur the lines between history and myth, between reality and the supernatural. And the UFO hysteria of 1966 reminds us that even in the world of advanced technology, the allure of the unknown can still capture our collective imagination. So whether your team, I want to believe, or group, I'll believe it when pigs fly. Remember that these stories are more than just campfire chatter. They're the heart and soul of Michigan itself. Now, as we emerge from the shadows of the unknown, let's keep our minds open, our wits sharp, and our tinfoil hats handy. Just in case. Because as Fox Mulder always said, the truth is out there. I'm Christopher Feinstein. And this is Haunted American History. I'd like to welcome my newest patron, Christopher. Thank you so much for joining. Your support means the world to me. I'm so happy you're here. If you'd like to join the Patreon, patreon.com slash hauntedamericanhistory, ad-free episodes, early releases, and just a whole lot of fun. Later, folks. You are honestly the best thing ever. I would read, I would listen to you read a box of noodles, like the ingredients. You are so humble, and I listen to everything that you've put out. Uh, you have you have me watching The Shining. 
and the Twilight Zone and your cousin and your brother and oh your brother look at me uh, hands down you are amazing I wish you would do more stories that you write like you know uh, the original stuff that you've done uh, I, I, I just can't get enough of it you're great uh, we love you from Texas keep doing what you're doing you're actually amazing